the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve God and the Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. Okay, good morning, Christ Church. Good to be with you this morning. I'm Pastor Andrew, one of the pastors here, and we are wrapping up uh, this story. It has been three summers that we have broken up 
traveling through this book. This is the story. It is a narrative look at the scriptures. It takes the Bible and it puts it into an easy to read kind of a narrative a story format. And so we've been working through that now for three summers. And today we are actually wrapping it up. We're going to be looking at specifically the book of Revelation and how the Bible ends. Before I go too far, though, I do want to mention next week, we're going to be kicking off our new sermon series. It's called Made for Mondays. A lot of us end up dreading Mondays. The hope is to reverse that and make you excited for Mondays, okay? So the hope is that you'll come back next week and the weeks that follow after that, and you'll learn how faith and life can be amazing on Monday through Friday as you're doing your life, as you're doing work, as you're doing play, and you don't dread Mondays, but you end up looking forward to Mondays. So you want to come back starting next week, Pastor Bob will be kicking off Made for Mondays. But... As I mentioned, today we are digging into Revelation. Got to be honest with you, totally transparent. This is one of those topics that makes me really nervous, really hard to talk about as a pastor, as a preacher, because there's so much to say. There's so much context in terms of our contemporary lives. Uh, How many of you have heard of the book of Revelation before? Okay. How many of you have an association, you have watched a TV program, you have watched another preacher, you have read a book, or something along the lines that helps shape the way that you know that there's a lot of commentary out there about the book of Revelation? How many of you all watch the History Channel special? You know what I'm talking about? Like late night, the sound like every other week on Revelation? Yeah? Uh-huh. Yeah, no one's raising their hand now, but you all done it. Because it's on like every other week. You know what I mean? There's a lot of people who have a lot of commentary and a lot of questions about Revelation. And whenever we talk about Revelation, we're talking usually about the end times. It makes us feel really nervous. Kind of get the heebie-jeebies when you start talking about the end of the world. Little wonder. We're living in the world. Talking about the end of the world makes us a little nervous. It's to be expected. The original language of Greek, uh, the book... Revelation, the original language is apocalypsis. Everybody say apocalypsis. It means revealed. Revelation. It is when you take something and it becomes revealed. You're pulling back the curtain. You're pulling back the veil. You're pulling back and seeing something for the very first time. Revelation is something that comes to you and makes something plain. You can see it. And that revelation, in this case, came in the form of a dream, a vision. Apocalypsis, uh, uh, that Greek word, is, is a revelation from a specific man, John of Patmos, who had one trippy dream. I mean, we're talking like Alice in Wonderland, okay? It's out there. And it's powerful. And it is the Word of God. And so although it's often very confusing, often very complicated, often layered within the context and contemporary world with commentary... It is important for us as a church body to step back and rightfully engage with this part of the story, the end of the story, or maybe just the new beginning, better way to say it. Revelation, the apocalypse of John of Patmos, it is a dream, it is a vision that is given to a specific man who writes it down and shares it with the wider church. book of Revelation starts like this. Chapter 1, verse 1. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ. So this is something Jesus is showing him. It is the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant, John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. 
God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church. High five for Greg out there. You just got blessed. Uh, And he blesses all who listen to its message. High five for all of you in this room because you just got blessed. You are blessed because you have heard this message and obey what it says for the time is near. This is how the book of Revelation opens. That this is a healthy, good book meant for you, the church, to hear, to understand, to engage with, to pray about and discern. It's not scary. It's not something we should be super hesitant to deal with. But we should rightfully and carefully handle it. Oftentimes, however, this is not the case. So, let's get a little more specific. John of Patmos. John is a, is a follower of Jesus. He is not the same guy who wrote the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is another book within the Bible. This is another John who wrote Revelation. John of Patmos lives on a little old island off the west coast of Toiki. There it is. Asia Minor. Uh, he's living in exile. He is a follower of Jesus Christ. But in that world and in that time, Rome was the contemporary power when this book was written. And according to Rome, you were not allowed to be a Christian. It was outlawed. It was illegal to practice the Christian faith. Much like if you go to other parts of the world, you'll find that that's the case uh, in, in uh, other parts of the world. Uh, Asia right now has huge amounts of that, for example. Um, in ancient Rome, you, you weren't allowed to be a Christian. If you were a Christian, they found out you were a Christian, you had a prompt lunch date with a group of lions, and you were the lunch. So that's how they handled keeping Christians kind of suppressed. And so John is actually a, a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, who because of his faith in Jesus Christ, uh, flees and is exiled. He, he's Because of the persecution, he is uh, kicked out of where he used to live, and he's sent to this, this island of Patmos right there. And he's living out the rest of his life on the island of Patmos, recognizing and understanding that there is mass persecution happening that he himself has firsthand experience with. Not only does he have firsthand experience with, but all the churches that he writes to in the book of Revelation. When you begin the book of Revelation, as you get into it, one of the first things that you'll read and the first things that you notice in this is that he writes to a group of churches. You can see a number of these churches within the context of Asia Minor right there on the map. You also notice a couple other churches, the dots, uh, that are prominent cities that hold Christian churches. For example, Ephesus. You see Ephesus right there. Uh, Book of Ephesians was written to the church in Ephesus. Okay. You've also got Philippi, Book of Philippians, Thessalonica, First and Second Thessalonians, Corinth. First and second Corinthians, okay? So in the ancient world, this was a predominantly Christian area. Christianity has taken root and is growing exponentially, and the government is trying to suppress it. John writes to these churches, specifically the churches in Asia Minor, at a time of heavy persecution. And he has some very interesting words to say. He has some pretty powerful things that he wants to share with them, or more specifically, Jesus wants to say through him. The first major thing that Jesus does is he gives a warning through the book of Revelation. This is one of the big thematic upfront pieces specifically to the early church that received this letter. It says this again in one three. This is the report of the word of God, the testimony of Jesus Christ. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy in the church. He blesses all who listen to his message and obey what it says for the time is near. 
All right, stop there for a moment. This is a very in-your-face warning, and the letters to each church specifically go even deeper on this. Basically, what's happened, Jesus came, died, and was resurrected. The church was started. The apostles, the twelve, start out, they're preaching, they're teaching, and the Christian church is growing. And as the church is growing, the apostles are proclaiming that Jesus is coming back. He's risen from the dead, he's ascended to heaven, and Jesus promised to come back. And the time is near. It could happen any moment, it could happen any day, so turn, repent, believe, and follow Jesus. And that became the message of the gospel as it went out into the Roman Empire. By the time the book of Revelation occurs, there is generational change. The original apostles and all of those who would have had first-hand contact with Jesus are starting to die off. Their witness and the testimony of the, the little kid who stood and had 12 fish or loaves, loaves and fish and brought them to Jesus and, and there was enough food for 5,000 people, that little kid has grown up and is now dying off. And so what happens is those Christians who knew Jesus, walked with Jesus, ate with Jesus, followed Jesus, told their children. Their children told their children. And now that grandson, granddaughter, those Christians are being persecuted for their faith. And in all of it, Jesus still hasn't come back yet. So they're looking around saying, hmm, eaten by lions or keep being a Christian? Not so sure I want to be on board with this. After all, we don't even know if he's coming back. He said he would, but man, grandma and grandpa kicked the bucket a while ago. He's still not back yet. And so the Christian people began to be susceptible to living life as though Jesus was not coming back. They're living life as if what Jesus promised wasn't going to be true for them and for this world. What took place is apathetic faith. Apathetic faith. It is when you say, yeah, sure, I believe, and yet you don't allow it to infuse every act, every thought, and the trajectory of your life. It's when you say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Do you go to church? Nah, when I feel like it. Are you generous? Nah, that's a loaded question. How do you treat your family? Well, you know. Do you forgive? Do you love? Do you serve? Are you charitable? Are you following the teachings and the life of Jesus Christ? Eh, when it's convenient. That's what's taking place. And so John receives this revelation and Jesus gets in the church's faith and face and says, Hey, reminder, obey and live into the faith that's claimed you. Be the Christian people that you are intended to be. And remember, I am coming back. And the time is near. It could happen any moment, any time, any day. It could happen before this sermon is over. So live like it. Don't live in such a way as you're like, ah, sometime, I don't know, whatever, in the future. 
not my problem, not my issue. It'll happen when it happens. No. You, Christian person, you who follow Christ, obey and hear the messings and teachings and the sacrificial calling of the Christian life and live it knowing that Jesus is good for his word. He is coming back and it could happen any moment of any day. That was the message to the early church. And frankly, it's a message we continue to need to hear today. Amen? How often does apathetic faith slip into our own lives? This is why Jesus had to come. Because we slip into old habits, old ways, old destructive things. The way that we treat people, the way that we think about our life, the value sets that we hold, the priorities, the way we use our words. The way we trust people or don't trust people. The way we engage with strangers. The way we handle our finances. The way we manage our home. Jesus talks about those things. And he says, don't live life as though me and my kingdom don't matter. Don't lose sight that I will come again. And so the book of Revelation was sent to that early church, and it is sent to the church of today, to you and to me, to warn us, don't slip into apathetic faith. That's the first big warning in the book of Revelation. Another huge warning in Revelation happens at the end of the book. It bookends with major warnings. Pretty in your face, pretty up straight, straight up front. You think this one's tough. Look at this one. Revelation 22. If anyone adds anything to what is written here, God will add to that person the plagues described in this book. If anyone removes any of the words of the prophecy, God will remove that person's share from the tree of life and the holy city that are described in this book. This, too, is a warning. This, too, is something that we struggle with today and that the Christian church has struggled with since we got this book. This warning has to do with us obsessing over and trying to figure out the how and the when the end of the world comes. This is, this is all of those, this is warning us, Christian people, hear this. This is a clear warning to say, look, when you see that late night televangelist on saying they've got the time and they figured out the date because they crunched a bunch of numbers and they broke the code and they figured it out. This is saying, warning, do not add nor detract anything from this book. There's no secret codes here. There's no special numbers that if you crunch in the calculator, you don't need to obsess over over all of the, the finer details of the end of the world. Determining this is the Antichrist. No, that's the Antichrist. Do you know the word Antichrist is not even used in the book of Revelation? It's used in other books of the Bible. It's not even used in the book of Revelation. And the way that the Antichrist is used is any person who does not serve or live for Christ. That's how it's used. So when you hear that guy who publishes a book about how the last 20 presidents have all been Antichrists, you guys hear that, right? I mean, not living under a rock. I'm pretty sure the last number of presidents, every single one, somebody has claimed that that's the Antichrist. If you hear that, this book is warning you. Do not add nor detract. Don't layer on top of this book or this witness your interpretations and assumptions. Don't go diving into 666 and the mark of the beast and all this jazz out there. It's caused a lot of confusion. 
It's caused a lot of destruction. That doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. It doesn't mean that those things aren't real. But the way in which we engage with it matters a great deal. We engage with it out of respect, and we don't add things to God's Word. God's Word is sufficient. Amen. God's Word is what it is, and let it be what it is. So don't get sucked into all of that uh, consumer, popular, cultural phenom stuff. Don't, Don't fall into that. Please, hear me this morning as your pastor, as your friend, as a shepherd, where my calling is to help protect you. And I want to help protect you from the experiences that you will engage with when you hear and engage with people who say they've figured it out and this is how it's going to happen. Warning. Warning. Jesus says no one knows the time and the date. Not even Jesus himself. He says the Father alone is the one who knows the time and the date. He's the one who knows the finer details of the how and the when this is all going to take place. You don't need to, you don't need to figure that out. You don't need to worry about that stuff. Jesus has got it. So you don't have to. But make no mistake, Jesus is coming back. But to get lost and sucked into all the doctrines and ideas that are out there, be careful. Give you a simple example. Uh, you guys heard of the rapture before? Anyone heard of the rapture? Just that term, that term? Okay, so that term has become much more popular of late. Um, uh, it may or may not be true. Don't know. Don't know. But this I do know. The rapture and the doctrine of the rapture, the actual theological term is, yeah, get this, okay? Premillennial dispensationalism. Say that ten times fast. Premillennial dispensationalism is basically the rapture, more or less. And uh, you guys know the Left Behind series? Come on, y'all seen that at the, at the used bookstore. You guys know what I'm talking about? You can buy them by the stack at like used bookstores. Um, Left Behind series and everything that comes along with it, that kind of ideology, that theology, didn't even exist until 1834. Did not exist until 1834. It's a new doctrine. It's a new theological belief. Christians before 1834 did not believe, did not have a concept of it. I'm not saying that it's not going to happen that way. What I am saying is, you should be wary of some new stuff. You should be nervous, conscious, aware. I'm warning you, just as the scriptures do, do not add nor detract, but simply allow the book to be what the book is meant to do. And this is what the book ultimately is meant to do. This book points to who. It's a book about who. It's a book about Jesus. Not when, not how. It's a book that is supposed to orient you and your faith to Jesus Christ and his promise of his coming kingdom. Revelation is this incredible book. It's, it's, it's incre- it is amazing. I mean, I read it, I get goosebumps every time. I can't help but be drawn into the rich imagery, the, the artistic expressions, the, 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 the amazing metaphors and parables, and, and, and what's there is so rich. Don't miss it. There is power in God's Word, and this is God's Word. 
And what this word should do is evoke in you faith in the person of Jesus Christ, in his coming kingdom. It is supposed to point you and orient you towards the reality that Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back in his fullness and his kingdom is here, there will be no more tears. There will be no more suffering. It tries to capture imagery about, about, about uh, nations being gathered up and, and coming together and, and, and singing. Isn't singing great? We sing every week here at Christ Church. It draws upon, the, the Bible draws upon the beauty of, and the experience of singing to help point to, to what it's going to be like. Whether or not there's actually going to be singing, I don't know. The point is, it's going to be an experience of worship, of adulation, of joy, and satisfaction. It's a coming kingdom. It's a coming kingdom where there will be a new heaven. A new earth where Jesus will set things right in my life and in your life. Where we will openly and freely practice and experience forgiveness. There won't be any more shame or or, uh, nervousness about, well, I don't know what that person thinks about me. And what what are they going to think if I do this? Or what are they thinking? None of that stuff. There's, there's going to be no more, no more violence and, and stuff that you see on TV and your heart breaks. It's a kingdom. It's a kingdom where the life and the teachings of Jesus Christ reign in every single person. It is a kingdom that is coming for you. That you and your story will be a part of. This story, the greatest story ever told, is about Jesus. And this chapter in the story, this part of the story, is about the promise that he has for you. To live life eternal with him. And no longer be burdened by this world and the frustrations that come with it. You know, every week we pray the Lord's Prayer. There's a line in there that we pray, Thy kingdom come. You guys know that one? Right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Let the kingdom and the life that you are trying to capture, Jesus, in this imagery, in this dream, this revelation, let that kingdom come and be made real in and through me. That's what you pray when you pray the Lord's Prayer. Because ultimately, the book of Revelation and every other book in the Bible is about Jesus Christ and the story of his redemption and pursuit of you and your life. It is about his unwavering dedication and his fervor and his love for you and your story, even with its messiness, even though you got brokenness in your story. I do too. But this story, this story tells me that Jesus wants to heal and restore 
my story and yours. Revelation points to that. It is not a book about when or how. It's a book about who. Jesus. I mean, there's some crazy imagery in the book of Revelation. There's, there's a dragon in there. There's lampstands in there. There are these bowls that are really important. There are some things with wings in there. I mean, it's, it's, it's wow. There's imagery of Jesus. Wearing a robe of blood. His blood. The blood from the cross. Where, where the power of his words win battles and win victories. Showing and conveying how he definitively has won over sin, death, and the devil. And he will proclaim and pronounce that at the end of days. He will reveal what that means as his kingdom comes. Revelation 22 gives us this promise towards the end. He who is faithful witness to all these things, that's Jesus Christ. The beginning of the book says Jesus is the faithful witness. Here we find in Revelation 22, Jesus is the faithful witness. He says to all of these things, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And this is how the book ends. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's holy people. This book, Revelation, and this story, all of it, is about the life, death, resurrection, and redemption. The redemption of your story and my story that comes through the person of Jesus. There are warnings. Live life like it makes a difference. The way you act, the way you think. Live it trusting and knowing that Jesus is good on his promise and good on his word. And live it in anticipation. Live it in hope. Live it in joy. Let it shape your priorities. Let it shape what matters in your life. Your identity. That Jesus has redeemed your story through his story. And he is joining your story to his story in eternity. In a way that never ends. All that's left for us as God's people is to echo John of Patmos. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. In Greek, the words are maranatha. Can't say this right. I got to read it because it's Greek and I haven't done it in a while. Let me show you. This is the Greek. There it is. Maranatha. That is it. So that's the Greek. And this is what it means. Our Lord, come. Come, Lord. That's what it looks like. That's what it means. To be a Christian, part of our Christian witness and our prayer is there. Come, Lord Jesus. Bring your kingdom. Reveal yourself. Redeem my story and everyone's story. So, we're going to shout it out this morning together. 
Everyone on the count of three, our Lord come. Ready? One, two, three. Our Lord come. Oh, come on. Put some gusto in it. This is the eternal kingdom we're talking about here. Let's go, people. One, two, three. Our Lord come. My hope and prayer for you is that as your story continues to unfold, this becomes a regular proclamation on your lips. Our Lord, come. Come, Lord Jesus. Thy kingdom come. Let's close with prayer. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the grace that is found in Jesus Christ, in his life, death, resurrection, and his redemption. The promise of his restorative work at work in this world, the restorative promise that he will come and one day all things will be set right and good. That our healing will be made complete. Our mourning will come to an end. Well, there will be no more violence, nor sorrow, nor tears, but simple satisfaction in your presence and in your purpose, in your person. Jesus, we do ask and pray, come. Let your kingdom come in and through us. Let it come among us. We trust and we believe that it is coming and we invite it that much sooner. Please, Lord, hear the prayer and the supplications of your people. Hear us as we pray to you in anticipation of your everlasting and heavenly kingdom. We pray this, Jesus, in your holy and your precious name. Amen.